What's up, Avs fans? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast right here with J.J. Jerez, that's me, and Arif Dean, looking at him on a Skype video screen right now. Currently watching the Pittsburgh beat down on the Buffalo Sabres 5-1. It's sad what's going on in Buffalo. The Sabres are losing? (laughs) They're just getting beat left and right. I mean... Really easy moneymaker there if you're, uh, you know, still taking action with us on DraftKings. But, you know, 5-1, that reminds me of the score that the Avalanche had against Minnesota, right? I mean, in the two games against Minnesota, they beat them 11-1. to And what I thought was interesting about that series is going into it, people were really high on Minnesota. I mean, Kapo Kakinen was riding a win streak. Kirill Kaprizov is really starting to catch the attention of everybody. That Minnesota was starting to really kind of be this elite team in a lot of people's eyes, and that got swatted down into the fourth row real fast. I think we, because uh, I said it myself, and uh, I did this thing where I said that the Minnesota series was going to be a litmus test. And uh, and, and I retract that statement because I feel like that was a slap in the face to the team that we cover. Because I don't think we notice because we are covering this team every single day. I'm, I'm at these games. You're watching these games. You know, we're sitting here breaking down all the things that are wrong with the Avalanche. All of their inconsistencies and their lack of scoring, which a lot of it was deservedly so. They had a very funky start to the season just trying to get their feet, you know, feet wet. Mm-hmm. But... On the outside, everybody else watching this team, I'm guessing fans of others uh, of other teams and and other media members, if they were listening to our podcast, would think these guys are crazy because I catch an Avalanche game every once in a while, and this is a good team. To call Minnesota a litmus test would be like calling the 2015 version of the Avalanche a litmus test to the Blackhawks that were on their way to winning their third cup. That's kind of the way that I see it. It's like, this is such a joke. Why would you say that? So I, I retract that statement because the avalanche came down and, and pretty much shoved it up my face saying, hey, <laughs> this team is so much better than we're so much better than this team. They scored 11 goals on them. They had a million shots. They dominated the crap out of those games. Like I've never seen a team dominate. They carried it into the Arizona series. JJ, we got a good team in Denver. Yeah, they shoved it up your face Oop. Oop. <laughs> um, I, was, I was gonna use the, the the biz the shove it up the hoop no lube say a paper finish, finish bingo, uh, <laughs> no i think it was still fair i mean i get where you're coming at with uh with the litmus test thing i think it was still fair to call it a litmus test just because of what we saw the last time the wild were in denver right i mean the avalanche were starting to kind of break a little bit you were missing guys in and out of the lineup and it was just an overall bad game from colorado so it was good to kind of compare what's changed in the last two weeks and how the forward group's kind of a lot healthier, how much better they look now versus what they did two weeks ago. Two, yeah, three weeks ago, something like it's, that. It's been nearly a month now. That was that was March or February 24th, I want to say, that game. So actually it was four weeks ago. It was four weeks ago. So it was about a month ago. And uh, it's a whole new team. They, they got healthy at the right time. Uh, the one issue that I had with this team every single time we would record was – these guys aren't all playing well at once, and now they're all playing well at once, and that includes our guy Tyson Jost, who's finally playing as as good as I've seen him play, even if the numbers aren't there. Valerie Nichushkin, by the way, Nichushkin, five goals, five assists in his last eleven games. Guy plays on the third line. 
That's those are good numbers. Donskoy, look at how many goals he has. Look at how many points he has. McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, they're all on pace over a full 82 game pace for 100 points each. Landeskog, 70 something. Uh, Brandon Saad, look where he's at. Kadri's on pace for more than 70 points if it was a full 82 game season. Burakovsky's got his goals as usual. Uh, the only hole in terms of offense is that third line center spot. And Comfort lost a spot to Tyson Jost. And, and as we saw yesterday against Arizona, Comfort was a healthy scratch so Logan O'Connor can get back in the lineup. So maybe that's something to keep an eye on. And I think I said this last time too, and I tweeted it. JT Comfort might not have a team, a spot on this team much longer if he doesn't get his act together um, because he seems to be the only one that's not playing the role that we thought he would when the season started. Yeah, we could get to that in a second and obviously look ahead. Before we move on from the Minnesota series, I want to talk about a few more things. But yeah, you're seeing goals up and down the lineup in the last two series, both with Arizona and Minnesota. And, I mean, like you said, the first game against Minnesota, that first line was really bringing it that day. Insane. You had McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, Rantanen scoring goals, and then Donskoy chipped one in later. But then that second game against Minnesota, you got McCarr, Landeskog, Rantanen, Jost, Taves, Nachuskin, all scoring goals. Again, up and down the lineup. And then you keep going into that Arizona series, and you had – um, you know, like you said, Bellamere, Rantanen, Kadri, Donskoy, Donskoy, and then again in Arizona. Sorry to bore you with the list, but I just think it's great to hear the the assortment of names: Landeskog, Rantanen, McKinnon, Nachuskin. So yeah, like you're saying, I think uh, you're getting goals from all over the lineup. Everything just seems to be clicking. You know, everything seems to be looking well. I know we're talking fresh off of a loss, uh, a shootout loss that at that. Um, which was a little bit frustrating to see. And, of course, we'll dive into the Jonas Johansson trade here in a second. But it just feels like this team is finally here. And we said this, I think, two podcasts ago. It feels like the Avalanche are uh, on the brink of being that team we are seeing. Well, now it feels like we're in it. The, the Avs are this the team up. that we were expecting. Yeah. And people were saying and asking, are they peaking too early? And and my answer is no, they're not peaking too early. They're playing like the team that we're going to see them be for the rest of this year, hopefully for the next half a decade or so, and and be that dominant force that they could be. Because I've watched Vegas Golden Knights games, and yes, they win a lot, and they currently have more points than the Avalanche. But what I've seen from the Avalanche the last 7, 8, 9, 10 games, Vegas doesn't play like that. They are not as dominant and, and if there is a litmus test to be had, it's what starts tomorrow and Saturday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. It's that two-game series against Vegas. This is the series. This is the team to watch is the Avalanche Vegas series. Yeah, peaking too early, that's an interesting question. But, I mean, it's such a tight schedule and we're already halfway through the season. I feel like right now is the perfect time to start peaking and, you know, just keep riding and, and hopefully just plateau. There's no dives or spikes from here on out because this is the team you like to see um sticking with the minnesota last thing we we have to touch on was that uh mike rousseau complaint <laughs> of the shot on goal debacle right i mean uh, so the avalanche had 55 shots again oh sorry the avalanche had 50 shots because russo sat in his hotel room and rewatched the entire game and calculated the shots himself. He, he honestly thinks he's doing the Lord's work here. He thinks he's I, just such a saint by, okay, by figuring so, this out. So for let's the NHL. let's give a let's give a backstory. Let's give a backstory. So Michael Rousseau tweeted during the Avalanche game on Thursday against Minnesota. So that was the first of the two of the two games, and said that the he tweeted out a video of you know uh, not Grubauer. What's his name? Cam Talbot making a save of, of a puck that kind of went over the over the goalpost a little bit, and he gloved it down, and he said. 
the Avalanche just, just counted this as a shot, and their shot counters should get a call from the NHL because that's not a shot. Excuse me, that's not a shot. They missed the net, even though Cam Talbot caught it, which is true, yes. So he said this. Um, and then at the end of the game, he made a whole big fuss about it. He said, I'm not, you know, talking about the Avalanche not being a dominant team, not being a good team. I'm just saying that their shot counts are a little inflated. That's why they have such a big number, higher than the second most team, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Then he went on the hockey show with my guy, JJ Jerez and hey. Ryan Bolding. Um, and he said that the NHL had reached out to him and they've reached out to the Avalanche. He also said that the shot counters ended up taking that shot off. So the Avalanche should have had 56 if they kept counting that. And he's, look, so what he's saying is not wrong in terms of that example. Uh, number one, turning this into a whole conspiracy theory, There, there's other things to figure out than if the person in Denver is giving McKinnon an extra shot every once in a while. Uh, that's not the the, the fight that you want to or need to fight. It's not really something that needs, like you said, he feels like he's doing the Lord's work. And then yesterday he tweeted during the Minnesota Anaheim game and he tweeted a video of a shot that Ryan Getzloff took that missed the net by about six inches or a foot and Kakinen or Talbot, whoever was in goal, kind of uh, caught the puck in their glove. And then he took a picture of the screenshot of the play-by-play that said Ryan Getzloff missed net by zero feet. And he said, hey, Avalanche fans, this is what that shot should have said. This is what those – let it go. Let it go. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't get this obsession with I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to make sure that I figure this out. That What are you expecting? Gary Bettman, Colin Campbell, and Bill Daly to all get in a room together and be like – all right, Russo's brought up a good point. We need to get all of our shot counters in a room right now during a pandemic, and we need to discuss what a shot on goal is because, dude, let it go. <laughs> right, that's my issue with it as well, is, is shots on goal is really, yeah, I, I get it that it does make a difference for some players, and, you know, when it comes to... Not, not to the extent that he made it out to when, be on the And when show. it comes I'm to sorry. contract discussion, you know, that eventually plays a role somehow in, in, in a minutia, but that's just not his role to be correcting, right? And it doesn't affect wins and losses. It doesn't affect goals and not goals. It doesn't really affect much about the results at all. I mean, as you even heard Mike Rousseau on our hockey show say, the Avalanche still dominated the Wild, so I maybe shouldn't have made such a big deal out of it, but that's exactly you it. You made a big deal out of it when yeah. it really had such little factor in the game. The Avalanche still won 5-1. Look, and, and my whole thing is, and, and you know, this is a personality thing, but I'm not one to get people riled up on Twitter. I'm just not that kind of person. I don't seek that attention. I don't like to cause drama and cause a stir. I I would be the worst Stephen A. Smith if I ever got hired to do what Stephen A. Smith does. It's just not who I am. And I kind of, when I see those things, I understand there's an entertainment value behind it. And Stephen A. Smith, it's an entertainment value for him. Skip Bayless is a wacko as well. He does it as well. There's no reason for Michael Russo to do it. And if he's going to do it, the shot count thing is just the last thing you need to be. He sat in his hotel room and watched his team, well, not his team, the team he covers get whooped five to one to count shots. It's you know what it means? You know what it means to count shots for an entire game? That means that one second that you look away to grab a pizza slice and take a bite, you miss the shot. So he's got to rewind. Like, why? It's called a troll, Arif. It's called a it's troll. Called, exactly. And I, I'm not a Twitter troll. I don't like those. I don't like to get those kind of people riled up and, and do the things. And that's why I made that, that, that Twitter fuck up couple weeks ago and i said byron mccarr and all of them are gonna play 
I came back and I, I, I was self-deprecating, made a joke about it. So sorry, like I didn't mean, we named a whole episode after it to basically be like, my bad. I'm not going to come in there and be like, oh, well, I'm at the games and you're not. So I, no, <laughs> like it's, it's okay. People make mistakes. So like, I'm just not in for the trolling game. I will say before we change topics about that, um, there was a couple of tweets that I've gotten over the last couple of days from that game since that game uh and i'm going to shout out two of our uh two of our listeners one of them is our friend shaquille oatmeal at vegas digan 1985 and the other one is just scott grumpy 7447 because they've been playing on this russo thing so on march 18th the day of that game obviously russo tweeted that thing that he tweeted in the first period and avalanche fans went nuts on him understandably so uh it's what he wanted he was being a troll but I tweeted during the third period, that was the Avs' 50th shot. And Shaquille O'Meal responded back saying, Michael Russo would die on a hill that it's only 49. Love that tweet. But it got better yesterday when Grumpy7447, I said it took nine minutes for the Avs to get their first shot. And they finished the period with 11 shots in the final 10 minutes. That would be the first period against Arizona where they came back from that 2 nothing hole. And this guy responded saying, was that shot count okayed by Toolbag McGee from Minnesota? <laughs> so shout out to both of you guys. You guys are our early and first in a while Twitter fan highlights. Love it. Keep them coming. Um, it's, it was hilarious, but I just I don't understand the obsession with the shot thing. Yeah, I always personally love to see when, you know, people who interact with us all the time start, you know, chirping other Twitter accounts. I think I don't know if you saw the whole Jeff Breidich thing, the Rockies owner or Rockies GM. He made a burner account. and Everybody figured it out right yeah, away. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I'm sitting there scrolling through all the people who are talking shit to him. And there I see Shaquille Oatmeal saying something hilarious. Love it. Like, love it. Love it. <laughs> so shout out. Shaquille I know him. Oatmeal. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's it's one of those weird things. I don't understand it. The moral of the story is the Avalanche played the Minnesota Wild for two games. They beat 17 different types of shit out of them in each period that they played. Uh, it was a great series. They extended their winning streak. They they dominated, man, and they dominated like I've never seen them dominate. And when you look at the division that they're playing in, the seven teams that they're going to be up against up until hopefully the third round of the playoffs, let's figure out what's going to happen with Vegas these next two games because nobody else in that division can give this team any sorts of fits. Obviously, there's luck that's involved. There's a McKinnon injury away from an issue, a McCarr injury again, a Grubauer injury, God forbid. But nobody can give this team any bit of any bit of a challenge right now unless it's Vegas, which we're going to find out over these next few days where the Avalanche match up with this team now. And, and it's the real litmus test. Yeah, and I think that's why it was safe to call Minnesota a litmus test because before then they had really only beat the Kings and the Ducks once, right? So, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, you kind of wanted to see them go up what we thought was a little bit better team at the time will proves that Minnesota is not exactly where everybody was expecting them but yeah time to transition into the Arizona series we had one five one win again another dominating statement win not exactly anything we didn't expect um, but then I think the the real talking point around Avalanche Lane right now is that second game against Arizona where they lost in over in a shootout technically four to five, um, a coin but flip. that's where Jonas Johansson made his avalanche debut. So let's I, get into that trade. A yeah. Little bit. I, I got to start with something first. You do this thing where when the avalanche lose, you always announce the losing score first four to five, Oh, to two. It's really weird. 
That is weird. I noticed that actually on our last podcast. I just I, they were they were they were losing zero to two or zero to two or whatever the hell you said. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I don't so know yeah, if I you do. guys pick up on those little <laughs> stickler things like I do, please shout me out so I don't sound like the only idiot here. But yeah, I mean they. So getting into that trade, um, I tweeted this a couple weeks ago and I wrote a story about it. After that Hunter Miska game, things were things things were getting serious. The Avalanche were in the goalie market. Uh, I wrote a whole story on it, and it, it it was it was real. Elliot Friedman was talking about it. The Avalanche were clearly in the market for a goalie. Um, what ended up coming to uh, uh, kind of came came to fruition. Obviously, there was the Johansson trade, but what came to light yesterday that Elliot Friedman said was the Avalanche were in and and still have asked about our friend Jonathan Bernier, but the injury that he sustained. With that in the uh, in that Red Wings game, uh, knocked him out of the lineup and made Sakic transition. But what it came out sounding like from Elliot Friedman, I'm struggling with my words right now. But what it came out sounding like from Elliot Friedman was that the Avalanche didn't transition from Bernier to Johansson because they are positive that Francis is going to come back. They were looking for a band aid. They got their band aid. It's Jonas Johansson. Let's see what this guy can do. And between now and April 12th, this is why they acquired him early, especially with the with the back-to-back against Arizona and wanting to have Grubauer have a night off and not have to play Hunter Miska. The idea is, let's see what Johansson can do. And if he's not up to par with what we want, or maybe even if he is up to par with what we want, he's a Band-Aid. And by April 12th, we're going to bring in another guy. And Jonathan Bernier could still be had. He could come back from his injury it's probably not going to cost you more than a third rounder. The goalie market is not a big market. Um, just people don't pay first round draft picks for goalies. They don't pay second round draft picks for goalies. Acquiring Bernier could be a really smart move, even with Johansson as your third stringer, because as we saw in the playoffs last year and in 2018, you need three good goalies because Andrew Hammond and Michael Hutchinson are starting playoff games. Why not? get this big Jonas guy starting one too, right? Right. I mean, there's a few things I liked about it when I first saw it, right? And I think the the biggest one was just that. He's big. He's 6'5". I liked the idea of just yeah, getting a big guy in there to, just to stop pucks, right? I think he did exactly what the Avalanche needed him to do last night, and that's give Grubauer a break. You know, I honestly didn't care if that game ended in a loss. As long as Jonas Johansson was able to finish the game and give Grubauer his much-needed rest ahead of these two VGK games, because you got to assume he's going to play both because they're going to be huge. We'll yes. get into those a little bit more in a second. But he, we, you just needed a guy to come in there and stop pucks. That's all we said, right? And it doesn't have to be spectacular. He doesn't need to be amazing. He doesn't need to be this superhero savior that's going to come in here and suddenly be a threat to Grubauer's job. No, he just needed to stand in there and be remotely adequate. I would say he was slightly below par. I would have liked to see him do a little bit, a bit better, but it's a start. Even Gabe Landeskog blamed the team for a little bit on those defensive lapses on the first couple of goals. So yeah, the first goal, the first goal was an issue for me. The second goal, not so much. Yeah. And so I think going into it, it was a little bit nerve wracking too, because you saw Steve Vogel, who's covered the Buffalo Sabres for a long time. Say John Vogel, John Vogel, Who's Steve Vogel? Um, no idea. <laughs> I think I went to a high school with a Steve Vogel. <laughs> shout out Steve Vogel. Doubt you're listening. If you're listening, shout it. Um, but uh, yeah, we saw John Vogel tweet how he's probably the worst goalie he's ever seen. So, you know, you're a little bit scared. I tried to do some research on him. There's no real highlight package, which was shocking. Usually you have a highlight package on any prospect at some point. 
Um, so you're like, all right, maybe this guy isn't so hot. You get to get to see him, and that's exactly what you got. You got a very mediocre at best goalie. I mean, what I liked about his game was his play on his feet. When he's still on his feet, he can move pretty quickly. He takes up a lot of net. He's aggressive, and he stands out on top of his crease. Once he drops down, it's kind of a disaster. Yeah, I noticed that too. And something that I noticed from him, and again, I'm not the goalie guru. I've never played the position. I'm not going to pretend I know what it's like. But something that I noticed from him, and this is a point that I mentioned about Hunter Miska in that Anaheim game is, yeah, he's a big body, but he does a good job of making himself look big. He mm-hmm. covers the net. Hunter Miska kind of like shrivels up like a like a sponge that you squeeze, and it's just like it's, it's, he's a lot smaller than he should be. Well, and you remember my biggest... Our, uh, my biggest complaint about Miska was his confidence and how he would be yeah. sucked back in his crease. Well, you're not yeah, seeing that he's with not Johansson. Coming out. He's, yeah. he's out a foot, two feet in so, front of his crease. And this is why I feel confident with Johansson is because he made those breakaway stops. Phil Kessel, I Some think nice the other stops. one was Clayton yep. Keller. Really nice stops in overtime. I mean, let's face it. The shootout's a coin flip. The fact that he went over 3 sucks. Yeah, yeah was, you kind of want to save one. Uh, it was ugly. I'm not going to take away from that. But the reality is he played well in overtime. Uh, those two late third period goals, again, sucks, just like the the early first period goals. I mean, we're talking about a guy that let in four goals in regulation and three goals in a shootout on three opportunities, and we're talking about him being okay. Because this is the reality. The reality is, to me, Johansson proved he can be a Hutchinson-level goalie, and that's what the Avalanche went out and traded for. They didn't trade for a backup. They traded for a third stringer because... Even before the Francois injury, and I'm going to throw my roommate under the bus just for a little bit, Mike Chambers, back before the season started, I wrote the story about how the Avalanche need a third-string goalie, and I said Craig Anderson's available, and I said Ryan Miller's available, and I said Jimmy Howard's available, and I wrote this story, and I published it, and he said, you're making a story out of nothing. The Avalanche have Grubauer, and they have Francois. I said, well, they're one injury away from not having one of those guys. He said, well, when that happens, then it becomes a story. I said, no, this is a story now. Teams are signing. Toronto signed Aaron Dell. Teams are signing three good goalies because they know that the schedule is compacted. Well, Francouz was gone by game three of the regular season. And ever since then, it's been the story. Going into this year, the Avs didn't have a third stringer. And then they lost their backup. And we're stuck with a starter and a fourth and fifth stringer in Werner and Miska. So they went out and acquired one of those. He's a Band-Aid. He's not expected to come in and be your backup. He's not going to split 60-40 games with Gruby like like Bednar was saying was going to happen with Gruby and Francouz. He's coming in to be a third-string goalie, and what I saw yesterday was a goalie capable of winning games, being a third-stringer. The only thing that I will say after talking for 10 minutes is the fact that he didn't come away with the W sucks. Simply because this is a guy that has one career NHL win, is 0-5-1 in six games in Buffalo, just having that one in the W column would have been massive for his confidence. But talking to him before the game, he seems like a guy that has confidence. He doesn't seem as reserved and and, and taken aback as Miska was. I think he's going to be fine for the role that he was brought in and for the price that the Avalanche paid for him. I'm done. Sorry. That was long. Go ahead. It's your turn. (laughs) Um, You know, I think the acclimation process is something we can't ignore here, right? I mean, he steps into a brand new team and they kind of know his history. He's looking to kind of have a better year from what what he's had in Buffalo. Like you said, he's still winless on the year. So he's got some pressure put on himself to come and perform and impress his new teammates and his new coach and everybody. 
And, you know, that first shot, I, I don't blame him for missing because that's a scary shot to face. You know, he's got pressure on himself. He's got pressure from his teammates. And he's expected to come in here and clean up a big mess that Hunter Miska left behind. So, you know, I think I, I forgive him for that bad goal at the beginning because that's just tough for any person you know you can't forget the human factor here this is a human being stepping in net and he just has a whirlwind of emotions and thoughts going through his head that you know it, it's going to take a second for him to be comfortable in net but once you saw him be comfortable and keep in mind that whole second period was scoreless from both sides so you know there are some positives you saw out of his game I know it's not amazing he's not the best goalie we've ever seen here in Colorado but he's perfectly capable of doing the job they need him to do which is just being that third string goalie not being a Swiss cheese role in net and just kind of like you said putting a band-aid on the wound until they can get another guy in here that's really gonna take the reins and I'm still hoping for Jonathan Bernier we're gonna find out just how long he's gonna be out for if much longer and and the trade deadline is still 19 days away Joe Sackick has the time to make that to make that trade and and with Johnson and and Francis on long-term injury the Avalanche are building some cap space right now they're gonna have the space to bring in this guy I still kind of think JT Comfort is gonna get traded at some point so that's gonna clear up three and a half but they have the cap space to bring in a Bernier uh what I will say about Johansson is it's it's great I mean look in the reality is yes that human factor the reality is this guy just got traded from the Buffalo Sabres who haven't won a game since 2001 <laughs> to the Avalanche who are you know expected to be a Stanley Cup contender. He was invited to sit at the cool kids table and he came up to the cool kids table at the lunchroom a little worried, a little nervous, trying to figure out how to fit in. And then once he started to fit in after those first five minutes of the first period, his personality came out. He started to talk and had a good time and made friends with all the douchebag football jocks. Like that's just the reality of what happened. Uh, you know, he's a third string goalie, but he's he's a guy. He's a guy that can be a guy and not, you know, Gabriel Bork on the third line, not Hunter Miska starting games for you, not Adam Werner uh, surprisingly having a shutout against Winnipeg and, the, or you know, not a real shutout because he played 59 and a half minutes and then letting in six points to McDavid in, in, in by early in the second period. Like he's a guy that can provide a guy duties like Anton Bebo did and like Michael Hutchinson did. And that's what he's going to bring. Yeah, I mean, they had won seven games in a row up to that point. So, you know, they, they've gotten themselves to two points behind Vegas. I just and they got a point. It wasn't a must point. win. It wasn't yeah, a must win. It wasn't. And especially since you're only two points behind Vegas and you've got two games coming up to them now, that's your real opportunity to take some, some points from them and maybe even jump them in the standings. But, you know, you even mentioned JT Confer. He, he, it would make sense for uh, JT Confer to go back to Michigan, right, and maybe end up as a Detroit Red Wing. So I could see that. I want to get into Jonathan Bernier just a little bit. Did you see the injury that we're kind of waiting to hear about from him? Yeah. I mean, it kind of looked like a knee injury. How yeah. scared are you? I mean, how much does that kind of put some hesitation on you wanting a Jonathan Bernier in here? Because, I mean, a knee injury isn't something that just goes away if it's a serious knee injury, right? So, you know, I'm a, a little bit on, I guess, teeter-tottering on the idea of bringing in a bruised and battered goalie to an already bruised and battered situation. I'm not worried. At half the NHL's bruised and battered. You're not bringing in Bernier to play seven straight games. Knock on wood, hopefully not. Grubauer stays healthy. You're bringing in Bernier to play one out of every three, one out of every four. Uh, when you have a back-to-back, -back, let me let me tell you this. The Avalanche have had five sets of back-to-backs this year. 
On the first game, they are 4-1. and one. On the second game, they are two wins, zero losses, three overtime losses slash shootout. So two zero and three on the second of a back-to-back. That three at the end, the three OTLs, every single one of them was Miska slash Johansson, anybody but Grubauer. You need a guy that can come in and play the back end of a back-to-back and win. You know that 2-0-3, the two in the beginning, Grubauer. Or sorry, one of them, Miska, one of them, Grubauer. Remember that Arizona series yeah, last month? Yeah, Miska did get one. They played Miska. Yeah, Miska got the win. And then the, there was a series. Uh, they played Miska in the first game of a back-to-back so that Gruby can play the second. So I think both of those back-to-back wins, the second game was Gruby. So that's ultimately what the Avalanche need. They need a guy in here that when you play back-to-back nights, be it St. Louis, which is coming up April 2nd and April 3rd with fans. I'm so excited for that. You need a guy who can play that game and win. You need a guy who can play the first of the back-to-back because you know Gruby can come in and play the second because he doesn't need to play every night. So that's what Bernier is going to provide. He's a good goalie. He's got great statistics on a piss-poor team. Uh, whether Comfort goes the other way in that trade or in another trade, I just don't know if Comfort has a spot on this team. Or it could just be one of those things where you keep him around for the season just because why not have a 13th capable forward? Um, that's how I ended the press conference with Jared Bednar yesterday. I said, hey, you you put Logan O'Connor in instead of Comfort. And he said, Logan O'Connor's play made it really hard for us to keep him out of the lineup. And, and Comfort, you know, it's a numbers game. Simply, it's a numbers game. Comfort lost his spot simply because O'Connor deserved it. And and shout out to all the many people when I said that Comfort was coming in for Logan O'Connor on Saturday to the many, many, many people that tweeted and saying, that's bullshit, O'Connor should have a spot in the lineup. And I agree. And he got it back. Well, now Comfort is going to fight to get that spot back. Well, I mean, beat out? it also just made sense to have Comfort take a, a night off after coming back after, from injury, yeah, not to back play to back, back to back. Exactly. And it, it's a good problem to have. So maybe he gets traded now. Maybe it happens in the summer. Maybe he's an expansion casualty. Um, I still stand by what I said. You have Comfort making three and a half and Donskoy making 3.9. The Avalanche aren't going to have the luxury of having $7.4 million tied up to two of your third liners. And by the way, the third one makes 2.3 in Nichushkin. So you're looking at, you know, nine, almost $10 million in your third line. The Avalanche just don't have the luxury to have that anymore because Landeskog is getting a new deal. McCarr is getting a new deal. And like I said the other day, Grubauer is getting a new deal, not another goalie. He himself is going to get a deal with this team. The Avalanche just can't afford to pay $10 million to their third line. And, and that's why, to me, Comfort might be the one to go. Tyson, Tyson Jost is going to make half of what Comfort makes if they decide to keep him around or if it's someone else. Yep, I could see the Bernier trade making a lot of sense, especially because we just see the way this team plays when there's a goalie in net that they're not exactly confident with, right? It's a completely different team. They play a little bit, I guess they overthink a lot of things, and it just looks a little bit more chaotic and a little bit more safe, especially on yeah. the offensive end, right? So you just get a goalie in there that they can believe in and not feel like they have to change their game at all and they can just play their style because you know the north south game is really what they're about so when they're trying a little extra hard to be defensive minded um, I think it kind of puts a wrench in things and and speaking of the Red Wings and I like to uh, pick off the Red Wings rosters I've been doing it all season with the Howard thing and Albernier Um, Jonathan Merrill who played for the Vegas Golden Knights in their inaugural season that seems like the perfect type of number 789 acquisition defenseman that the Avalanche could bring in to be a depth guy. Uh, Obviously, it's not going to cost much. Low draft pick, a throw-in in in a trade, but 
those acquisitions, people don't realize it because the NHL sucks with trades compared to other leagues where you see James Harden get traded for 17,000 draft picks halfway through a season. And the NHL is like, oh, Nemestnikov for a fourth. But those kinds of acquisitions matter so much because of how gutted your lineup gets as you get deeper into the Stanley Cup. So having somebody like Jonathan Merrill means that when, not if, but when you're in the third or fourth round of the playoffs and you have two, three, four injuries start to you know pile up, you don't need to turn to someone like Greg Patteron if you don't trust him being a defenseman. You can play Jonathan Merrill. Before him, Jacob McDonald. Before him, Connor Timmins. So you start to have options. So Merrill's another guy that, you know, if we're talking about making a trade with the Red Wings, that's another guy that I could see coming in and being that depth addition. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I wanted to touch on, I guess the last thing I wanted to touch on on the Arizona series kind of was that um, a controversial penalty call on Nathan McKinnon, right? The yes. four-minute major for uh, high-sticking Jacob Chikrin in the nose. Oh, double minor. Um, and, you know, it, it was peculiar to me because the ref comes out, says, after reviewing the play, this is our call. Now we're going to go review it. And... <laughs> They went and looked yeah. at it some more and said, okay, no change to the call. We're giving Nathan McKinnon four minutes because his stick went flailing up and hit Jake, Jacob Trickern in the nose. But everybody in Avalanche land had a problem with the no call going to back to Chikrin. He should have at least gotten a penalty as well because it kind of seemed like an interference play. He stuck his leg out to block McKinnon. And my biggest issue with it was, you know, it was kind of a knee-on-knee hit, but with Jacob Chikrin facing the other way. So it was the back of his knee that was a on big Nathan thing. McKinnon's knee. Con- yeah, con- continue, but that was a big thing. The reason why that's a big thing is because had Chikrin been facing McKinnon, there's no give. When McKinnon hits the back of Chikrin's knee, his knee collapses inwards, there's a give. But if that was a knee-to-knee, I don't care if McKinnon's stick would have went up the nose of Chikrin. That would have led to a five-minute major because McKinnon would likely be hurt. So the fact that it was the back of the knee is good. But I agree with you. The way that I saw it is, and as much as I hate the, uh, you're going to get two minutes for tripping and he's going to get two minutes for embellishment. It's like it was either a trip or it was embellished. I understand it could be a trip and then he went overboard. But at least the least they could have done was say, you got to have control of your stick, which is ultimately true. McKinnon's got to have control of the stick. When you're tripped, when you're falling, when you uh, slip, your blade comes off, you catch a you know a crank in the ice, and your stick goes up, you got to have control of that. If that hits the guy, nobody means to take a penalty. You don't purposely take a penalty. They're all accidental. What McKinnon did was an accidental high stick, hit him in the nose, he was bleeding, so it's an accidental four-minute penalty. However, they should have said what led to McKinnon falling was the fact that, like you said, he extended his leg out, he tripped him. It's an interference call. It's a simple interference call. And that's the part that was missed. If you're going to give McKinnon four, you got to give the other guy two. And that's just the reality is that is what should the call should have been. Granted, we, we, we do have to applaud the Avalanche's PK because that was the most dominating four-minute penalty kill I've seen in a long time. They did a hell of a job on it, uh, and it breezed by. But you got to give him two for that. that. That was a bad call because you gave McKinnon the only penalty, not because you gave McKinnon a penalty. McKinnon deserved a penalty. And I just think of the what if every time a penalty like that comes around. And I understand, like you said, it was the back of his leg, so it was a little bit less dangerous, but you're still, it's it's lucky that it was the back of his leg. So it's still a dangerous, compromising situation that should be punished because 
players need to have a little bit more awareness when it comes to something like that. You can't stick your leg out and almost bust somebody's ACL just because you're trying to protect the puck. So I think it deserved a, at least a little bit of a slap on the wrist. Um, you know, a, a four-minute versus two-minute I think would have been fair, but just the fact that they reviewed it, saw nothing wrong with that play whatsoever, reviewed it again, still saw nothing wrong. I was just scratching my head because, you know, from an NHL standpoint and from a marketing dollar standpoint, they want to protect Nathan McKinnon. And yeah. I, I don't feel like that was protecting a star player when you're letting somebody stick a leg out like that and, and end up with Nathan McKinnon getting the call. I'm fine with the two minutes. He smoked him in the face, smoked him real good. I like the slow motions that Altitude <laughs> gave us, but yeah, those I was crazy. uneasy with the, the no call the other way. Yeah. I mean, it like I said, it should have been a two-minute power play for the Coyotes. It should have been four for McKinnon. It should have been two for the other guy. And the four, you can't you can't debate it. If he's going to get two, he's going to get four because he was bleeding. It's it's cut and dry. That's like a puck over the glass penalty. It's cut and dry. Um, but I agree with you. You the, the, Do you follow, and this is a random question, do you follow Chris Versteeg on Instagram? I do not. Stegalicious <laughs> is what his username is. And I'll send you his profile strictly because Chris Versteeg does this thing where he goes onto his story every day. He watches a hockey game and he breaks down plays and he comment he gives he gives comments he's he does his own commentary on top of the game and he like has a hockey stick as a pointer and he'll be like look at this play Crosby did look what he did here and it's pretty badass it's kind of like Mark Rycroft on steroids but what Chris always says in all of his videos and and same thing to our listeners if you don't follow him look him up on Instagram and shoot him a follow because it's an entertaining follow he says the and he does this with Connor McDavid he says the NHL needs to protect these guys stop giving this guy and he he went through a video of mcdavid getting cross-checked and here and this and that and all this stuff happening behind the plane he's like none of these were called this isn't cody mcleod behind the net getting hit by uh you know jordan greenway or you know some other tough guy because mcleod pissed him off earlier this is the best player in the game getting hacked and whacked at at the ankles uh at the part of the the leg where there's no protection at the neck, all the places there is no protection because the other team knows they can get away with it. Let's slow this guy down. And the way we're going to slow him down is we're going to hit him in spots where there's no protection because as a human, that's going to hurt. As godly as he is on the ice, he is still a human. So they're hitting him in places where they know it can slow him down. Protect your star players because when you don't, that's when you keep getting these kinds of plays. And it's just the, it's just the way refing has been going, and it's it's one of those things that the NHL needs to figure out what kind of league it's going to be. Are you going to call everything cut and dry, or are you going to protect your stars? This kind of transitions us into something else, but I I, I wanted your thoughts on that beforehand. No, I mean you're 100 percent spot on, and that's exactly my issue with the whole thing. Is you would think, and I would like to think that Gary Bettman maybe even reached out to those refs yesterday and said, "Hey, I understand your." point of view on this one but we got to protect our star players and this was a bit of a jeopardizing play here I mean luckily thank your lucky stars that it wasn't a little bit different and you know because it could just be a millimeter difference and Nathan McKinnon's out the rest of the year with a blown ACL yeah, and then what but, does that do to to the avalanche and what does that do to one of your more popular but, players but JJ um Gary Bettman was busy with another call yesterday to even care about the McKinnon call right right you got your so, buffoon of a ref Making a buffoon Tim of Peel. himself, right? Okay, so let's get into this. For those that haven't seen it, Tim Peel, who has been often ridiculed for being a bad referee, uh, if, you, if you're if you a Puck Soup listener and you remember Greg Wyshynski four, five, six years ago now, uh, 
that may have been in the days of Merrick versus Wyshynski. I'm pretty even. sure it was. Yeah, it was a Merrick versus Wyshynski podcast at the time. Greg went out and had shots with Tim Peel because Greg constantly would, you know, bash Tim Peel. And he even wrote a blog about it on Yahoo. I remember he used to read like, hey, look at what Tim Peel did today. Look what he did today. And it was like every day. It was every week. This guy's getting brutal calls. So it became a meme. It became a Twitter thing. Whether you know who Tim Peel is or not, you're tweeting when you see this guy reffing your games. Ah, that damn it. Tim Peel's doing the Avalanche Blackhawks game. It's going to suck. And you don't even know why you're saying that. You're just saying that because you've been programmed to say that because of how many times people have pointed out the missed calls that he's had. So Tim Peel is retiring at the end of this season. He may or may he was scheduled to maybe coach in the playoffs, but his last game was going to be end of April. He was retiring then. Yesterday, he gets caught on a hot mic by the National Predators broadcast against the Red Wings saying something along the lines of, I just wanted to give Nashville a fucking penalty just because sometime in this period. And the call that he gave a penalty on was a clear bad call. Victor Arvidsson uh, didn't even trip up the guy, but John Merrill went down and he gave Victor Arvidsson two minutes for tripping or slashing or whatever the hell he gave him. But he did it from center ice, and this was happening deep in the zone. So it wasn't even the – I hate those calls. You ever seen those before where there's a ref right there and he doesn't do anything but the guy Across 700 ice. feet away yeah. calls it? You're like, what are you doing? There's a two-referee system for a reason, dude. Pay attention to that side. We're good. If the guy three inches away didn't make a call, what are you seeing that he's not seeing? So he made the call. He gets caught on the hot mic saying that uh, – clear as day and i feel i feel bad for the guy because referee mics never work you can't have you never have a referee call a penalty and the mic actually works well it worked it was clear as day it was him he said it the nhl said they were going to investigate it i did not think this was going to happen but today they fired him without using the word fired they said he will no longer coach games um ref. so now he doesn't he yeah he or sorry ref games so now he doesn't get his final game next month he doesn't get that you know that last hurrah but I, I've got comments on this. Number one, yes, he deserves it. You can't do that. And if you do, you better make sure your mic is quiet. Your mic is off. It's on you to make sure that doesn't happen. Number two, let's not pretend this doesn't happen. Makeup calls, literally everybody knows makeup calls exist. Everybody knows makeup calls happen. This is an opportunity for the NHL to say that was embarrassing Let's not just fix the issue that was the hot mic. Let's fix the issue that is refing. Because there should be games when the Avalanche play Minnesota and outshoot them 700 or sorry, 699, sorry Russo, to 10. The Avalanche should probably get 11 power plays in that game and Minnesota won. Because they're controlling the game. Those kinds of games should never be even calls and that's what keeps happening because of these makeup calls. And uh, after another five-minute rant, I'm going to turn it over to you. That's what's tough about the subjectivity of refereeing, right? I mean, because in reality, you could probably make a penalty out of something on every shift. And it's yeah. a lot like the NFL, right? You see it all the time. You could probably find a holding call on every single play, and the refs just decide when they feel like calling it. Do you know who Dick Bavetta is? I do not. 
Dick Bavetta is a former NBA referee, and this is the guy that raced Charles Barkley, if you remember, and Charles Barkley mm-hmm. ended up running backwards because yeah. Dick Bavetta yep. was so slow. Dick Bavetta was old and senile, and I remember when he would ref some Nuggets games. Nuggets were going into playoffs back in the George Carl years, and Dick Bavetta's refing, and it's a playoffs, and you're like, why the hell is Dick Bavetta here? He's so old and he's so senile. And you see that across sports. And I don't understand that. I've never understood that. There's always a guy. Well, wh- Not only that, but the majority of the referees are too old to play the game, are too old to even see the game well. Why do you have yeah. player or referees of that caliber when you can have some former junior players, some former you know guys who are still young, who can still keep up with the pace and still have a 2010 vision to be able to call the game fairly and correctly and not have any of these garbage biases against a team like Nashville and you know I don't know what he was trying to make up or what he was what grudge he was holding from before but it's just it's just garbage that uh, a referee can have so much power over your game but yet still be so inadequate and these leagues allow it on a regular basis yeah first first of all it's 2020 vision 2010 vision you're a little blind I'm 2010 no, 2010 is is perfect. Is better than perfect. That's why I said that. Sorry. Oh, maybe I'm off. I don't know. I'm not. 2010 I'm not means guy. 2010 means if you're looking at something from 20 feet, your eyes are so good that it's like you're looking at it from 10. That, ah, that's okay. My, yeah, that's that my makes sense. Vision. Cool. All right. So, basically, what I'm hearing is Tim Peel's brutal. Dick Bavetta's brutal. We should have JJ refing these games. He'll call the penalty against. Chikrin and not McKinnon. So that's good to know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I I, I hate the fact that referees have the control that they do. And the fact, like you said, it, there's a lot of su- subjectivity to refing. Um, but I wish there was a way to program refs the way that it is in an EA sports game where it doesn't matter if it's the first minute of the game or if it's 59th minute of the game. It's a tie game or if it's a blowout. Call the calls as they should be called. That's the way it should be. If the Avalanche, again, outshoot Minnesota 55 to 20, and I, I keep saying this, I don't even remember what the power plays were for that game, so I'll pull it up as I'm talking. But if you're outshooting Minnesota 55 to 20, that means you're controlling the puck. The Avalanche had the puck for a longer period of time. More than likely, you should have way more power plays. And just from looking at this, the Avalanche were one for two, Minnesota was one for four. In a game where the Avalanche had a 55 to 20 shot advantage and controlled the daylights out of the puck and Minnesota didn't have room to even hold the puck, they had twice as many power plays as the Avalanche. Though that should happen sometimes because maybe the Avalanche got an, you know, a very easy high stick to call like the McKinnon one, a puck over the glass, calls that are should be called, but the reality is you probably missed something on Minnesota. They were the slower team. The Avalanche had the puck for longer. The Avalanche had them on their heels. They probably was six, seven, eight more infractions in there that you missed. So I wish there was a way to make the game reft like that. Makeup calls shouldn't be a thing. If you're losing, if you're the Red Wings and you suck, I mean, Nashville's not a very good team, but if Nashville's dominating you, and I'm not going to pretend I was watching the game to know what the makeup call was for, but if Nashville's dominating you and they deserve more penalties, why do you need to come into the second period and say, I just wanted to fucking call something on Nashville just to get one on them this period? Why? The Red Wings deserved the penalties they got. Yeah, and that, that's I complain about it every year, and that's my biggest worry with this Avalanche squad, right, is is you get to the playoffs and suddenly referees swallow their whistles. They start allowing a lot more physicality and a lot more dirtiness to it, which really, 
you know, really derails the Avalanche's play, and it turns into a completely yeah. different game where the Avalanche spend all year being one of the greatest teams in the league, and then they get to the playoffs, and suddenly it's a completely different game. I remember complaining with that about that with you on this very podcast last yes, playoffs. That so. was that was both the Dallas series and the San Jose series the year before. That was very very prevalent and very apparent because those two teams were just bigger, tougher teams. So they were being getting away with things. And we saw it with Jamie Ben last year. And I forget all the people that were pissing us off from San Jose a couple years ago, but they were getting away with things that they shouldn't have been able to get away with. The Avalanche were rattled. And that's just the reality. And against Dallas, what made it even worse is they couldn't kill a penalty for their life. Dallas scored all the time on the power play. And that was what the issue was. So there, there's a lot of issues with that. And the Avalanche just aren't built to be the team that lets those liberties get taken on them because it, it rattles them. It takes them off their game. But I'm hoping that the NHL didn't look at this and say, I mean, the reality is Tim Peel didn't get fired for what he did. He got fired for, for letting it get aired out publicly, accidentally getting aired out publicly. Every ref does this. Um, Dave Jackson, Colorado a uh, Colorado guy who is now a retired referee. He's admitted to this before. Referees say it all the time. Tim Peel's not the first. He won't be the last. But that's the problem the NHL needs to fix. Not that Tim Peel got caught saying something he shouldn't have said, but that Tim Peel doing what he did is something... Again, it goes back to the Chris Versteeg thing. If players are allowed to hack and whack at Connor McDavid, why wouldn't you? You're going to keep doing it because it's allowed. So you need to get to the referees and not tell them, hey, don't have a hot mic on and, and be stupid enough to say that publicly. You need to go get to your referees together and say, we need to stop doing this and ref the games as they should be refed. Right. Get to the root of the problem and, you know, kind of weed out the bad apples that you have that are, are maybe too comfortable in the league with that kind of thing, right? I mean, you, you start to NHL, you're, you start to be an NHL ref and you've done it for a long time. You get to know these players. These players get to know you, right? We heard Matt Duchesne, not sure if you caught the clip, but he went on the radio in Nashville to kind of talk about the situation. Yeah, I, I heard it. And right off the bat, when they brought up Tim Peel, he, he has this little chuckle about him, right? He's like, oh, yeah. Tim Peel. Like, he already has a relationship. He already knows about this guy's antics. And, you know, that's something that should be cleaned up. There shouldn't be a guy that is has a reputation around the league for being a, a, a bunghole ref. But um, yeah, well, I, he's he's done. He's done. But the but but I just hope but you the know NHL, he's not the only one, you know. Yeah, I just hope one. the NHL learns something from this and doesn't just say Tim Peel's done. The issue is solved. The issue's not solved. Tim Peel wasn't the issue. Uh, he is in many other ways in terms of you know his piss poor refing, but he wasn't the issue. The issue is the way that get refs are allowed to ref these games, and that's the issue that the NHL needs to get to the bottom of. Yeah, sometimes refs love the power, right? They love refs the gonna authority. Ref. You see them all the time in men's leagues too. Those referees that just love yeah. having the authority <laughs> and love having the control and want to kick They're everybody so, out. Yeah. Um, I don't want to. While we're on the topic of penalties, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the Arizona uh, penalty kill. I just think what their penalty kill is so strong and so aggressive. And I, I honestly love watching it as bad of a team as they are. I think that's one of their few highlights uh, that they do. Well, I really like, and I really like watching their penalty kill and it frustrated the avalanche. They went one for seven in those two games against Arizona and even Gabe Landeskog after the game. Right. And 
That's a little bit of a testament to how he feels about media members, but he starts saying, oh, well, nobody be too quick to write about how our power play is struggling. Now you guys are going to write a story about how our power play is struggling. It's going to be this whole big thing, but it's not. We're doing all the right things. We're just not scoring. It was a funny quote. And I just think Arizona's Uh, got a good penalty kill. So you sometimes got to credit the other side. That's just the reality. Every goal you let in is not always, oh, that was our fault. We could have. The other team just made a nice play. If you didn't score on the power play, it's not because your power play sucks. And that's kind of what Landeskog was saying. It's the other team just did a good job of making sure you don't score on that thing that you're trying to score on. Yeah. So that's the point Landeskog was making. Uh, his frustration yesterday in the post-gamer was uh, nice to see because you know that out on one end, he was happy with the performance like from Johansson and the team in general, winning seven straight games. Every winning streak eventually comes to an end. But on the other hand, there was just that, still that bit of frustration like, damn it, we still should have won this. So that's great to have from a captain, somebody from like Landeskog who's been here since the team sucked. Because I know this guy goes to sleep at night saying we are 28-3. and three, And then he goes through the eight losses and he goes, getting blown out 6-2 by San Jose, that shouldn't have happened. That's got to be a win. Getting blown out 6-2 by Minnesota, that shouldn't have happened. Losing in overtime to LA, that shouldn't have happened. Losing to overtime in Minnesota, uh, to Arizona in a shootout, that shouldn't have happened. And he starts to kind of like all 11 losses, break them down. That's what you want from your leader. That's what you want from your best players. And... I mean, you're not going to win all 82 in this year, all 56 games, but it's good that he has that kind of a mindset. I just think with the way the Avalanche are playing and how strong of a team they're looking, it's healthy to get a loss like that in every once in a while. And especially with kind of like I tweeted last night, you know, you got a loss out of the way. Now you can get back to thinking about a win streak again. And right now it's it's going to be the biggest Series, and they got a, probably and they yet. got an overtime loss point. Right, you still got a point out of it too, especially yeah. But now yeah. you've got your biggest series of the season ahead let's of you. Let's get into that. So let's dive into that. Vegas coming up with two game set here in Colorado. I mean, what are you looking for? I, I think the goalies were really the hot topic last time the Avalanche played Vegas because they were two low scoring games. I think it was a one nothing and a two one something like that, if my memory serves me. Yeah. Um. So. You know, I think goalies are still the hot topic, but these teams have changed a lot since they last faced off, and I anticipate probably a higher scoring affair between the two games. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to say that too, but I also look at Philip Grubauer having a one seven one goals against average, and Mark Andre Fleury having a one nine three goals against average, and Fleury's save percentage being nine thirty one, and Grubies being nine thirty. Those are two really good goaltenders, but these are two really good offenses as well. What I think the biggest issue is going to be, and this is an issue for Vegas, is the last time these two teams played four games and the Avalanche squeaked out two wins, they were inconsistent offensively. Right now they're clicking. Mm -hmm. That's a problem for Vegas. Yeah, and I mean, you can't ignore the fact that Robin Leonard's back in. So Yeah, so he'll he'll likely play one of those games. I wouldn't be surprised. But if you're the Avalanche, if you're Philip Grubauer, you better know that you're expected to play both. And he is. And he likely is ready for it. Licking his chops at the opportunity. Because the Avalanche don't have the same uh, goaltending tandem Vegas has. Granted, they've spent $12 million on their goalies. And then because of that, they have some guy named Chandler as their second line center. And the Avs have, you know, more offensive depth because Gruby makes 3.3. Francis is on LTIR and their backup makes 700K. And plus, I just think Robin Leonard is a weaker goalie, especially against the Avalanche. I think Marc-Andre Fleury has the Avalanche's number and has always caused fits with the Avalanche where Robin Leonard has not so much, you know, and I, I, yeah. I've i said it a hundred times. I'm not sure why Robin Leonard is the starting guy over there, but he is. And, you know, I think that might play in the Avalanche's favor. 
Yeah, and uh, for for Marc Andre Fleury, I mean, he even he has four shutouts on the season. He's second in the NHL behind our guy Philip Grubauer, who has five. Uh, but he shut out the Avs. He shut him out at Ball Arena. I was at that game, and it was after the Lake Tahoe game. So I I really don't know which way this is going to go in terms of offensive or defensive games. All I know is. Uh, Vegas is in for for a big surprise. Well, and I also know Max Pacioretty has been in and out of the lineup. I know they had some issues with COVID. Um, uh, I think it was just last week. So yes. I wonder what their lineup's even going to look like if it's um, if they're yeah. going to be fully healthy yeah. or, or what that's going to be. Yeah, I'm really curious about that as well. Um, but Vegas is still. I mean, you got to hand it to them. They've been consistent all year. They haven't had weird drop-offs like the Avalanche. Uh, you know, they're they're a few points ahead of the Avs in the standings, but they've been playing good hockey all season long, and that's been the difference between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Avs. Is Vegas was exactly what we expected them to be, but the Avalanche it took a minute. So they're twenty-two seven and one. The Avs are twenty-eight and three. They have a plus thirty-three goal differential. The Avs are a plus thirty-five. They're pretty much the same team, minus the fact that the Avalanche had a couple of bad losses that should have been wins. Uh, like the ones I just listed, San Jose six to two, things like that. But I think the Avalanche are are going to find a way to do this, and they're going to come out, you know, strong. I still think the Avs are going to win the President's Trophy. I think they're that good. I think they've come on that hard, and and McKinnon's going to be up there, top three in points. Brandon is going to be up there, top three in goals, and they're going to win the President's Trophy. And in order to do that, you need to beat the team ahead of you. There isn't many of them. But the only one that's ahead of you that you're actually going to play is Vegas. And you've got four more games against them. And especially these two at home are going to be huge because the next two are on the road. You got to win these next two. Yeah, you got to take it one series well, you don't at a gotta, time. Well, right? you don't got to win the next two, but I think they're going to win the next two. Right. I mean, it starts now. If you're going to make this kind of a run and what you're saying, it starts with being this team in front of you. And we remember how intense the you know it felt like a playoff atmosphere the first couple times they played well this one yeah. with a lot more riding on it with first place at stake i think this is legitimately going to feel like a playoff series here i'm super excited for it and you know if they can get two wins then yeah this team is absolutely on fire i mean we already know they're buzzing right now i mean yep. what they've done in the last you know what what, what like 10 11 games is exactly what you want so to continue to be the team you want and to continue to keep this podcast in a good mood and talking positively, even <laughs> after a loss, you know, you got to beat the Vegas Golden Knights twice here just to really make a statement that we are the team that you thought we were. We aren't the team that struggled through the first half of the season and expect us to be flying through the, the second half here. Yeah, and they're going to play the 25th and the 27th of the month. And then I like this. They play again next month, the 28th and the 30th. Sorry, the 26th and the 28th of April against Vegas. And those games are going to come two weeks after the trade deadline. Those are going to be in Vegas. So this is going to be the who has what team now. And then if you're Joe Sackick and if you're Kelly McCrimmon, you're going to say, okay, so we just played Vegas or for Kelly McCrimmon's case, we just played the Avalanche twice. This is where they beat us. Let me go see if I can figure that out at the trade deadline and come back in a month and see if we can, what we can do then. And if you're the Avalanche and you lose the second game because Grubauer is tired, you're going to say, okay, so they played Flurry one day and then Leonard the other day and we don't have a backup goalie. So we're going to go ahead and bring in Jonathan Bernier, for example, to play that second game next month. So the fact that these games are going to be a month apart is really exciting for me because what happens in this series is going to dictate a lot of how these two teams go because they know, Vegas knows, to get to the finals, you got to get through Denver. And the Avalanche know, to get to the finals, you got to go through Vegas. You're right. I like the way you thought about that. I, you know, I haven't thought of it that way. And 
you're spot on. Um, that's that's a, a nice little twist there, and you know, just a unique w- aspect of this season that you get. It's, I love this. I love the schedule. You I'm get not more gonna litmus lie. tests, right? Litmus yeah. tests throughout the year. So I, like I don't. That. I don't like the fact that they're only playing seven teams, but I like these back to backs. I like that we're talking in sets of two, and I really, really hope the NHL keeps that the way it is. Is series. Yeah. I really love the series. Colorado played a piss poor opening night against the St. Louis Blues. And instead of having to wait six weeks, four weeks, five weeks until you see them again and say, we can beat this team, they got them two nights later. They put a whooping on them, an 8 nothing shutout, and they said, okay, we feel better about it. We feel better about ourselves. We knew we could do that, and we did it. I love the series. I really do. Yeah, so we'll see how this series turns out. I think I don't think I've been excited for a two-game set all year long. This is definitely the biggest one. So I'm, I'm excited to be there. I really wish this was when fans could come back, but we're getting so close. I'm so excited. Yeah, I think I got to hit these morning skates, though. I mean... Yeah, your name's on the list. You got to use them, man. Yeah, you know, I forget sometimes. A lot of times I'm like, oh, I, I could have gone to morning skate today and it was already too late. You know, I, well, I, I already got the notification for the Zoom that already happened. March 25th, Thursday. I'm assuming a lot of people will be listening to us at this point, but media entrance opens from 10 a.m. to 10.45 a.m. So I'm going to hope you're going to be there. All right, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it for you and for all of our great listeners. And along with that, Let's get into our three stars of the week, which is just uh, our little fun thing that we do just to help entertain our listeners since they made it all the way to the pot through the podcast. We like to reward that kind of stuff. So Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by us. Let's get to star number three. We're giving that to Jonas Donskoy. He's got three goals in his last four games. And of course, that really nice shootout goal he had there where he just undressed what the a goal. goal. That, that, was, was, that was so beautiful. I really loved it. And He's playing so much better. He's making me bite my words every single time I say the Avalanche are probably going to lose him. Well, I mean, maybe now it's comfort because Donskoy is on fire. He's got 10 goals, 11 assists, 21 points, and 31 games, and he's been playing most of that between 11 to 15 minutes a night. Shout out to Giannis Donskoy. Uh, I love that empty net goal that he took away from Tyson yeah, Jones where he was trying to get in. out of the way. and. <laughs> The puck hit the bottom of his skate. And he kind of like went up to Tyson laughing like, ah, this is why I make and four Tyson million. Tyson just had a smile on his face, but you could tell he's like, ah, oh, fuck you, man. Fuck you could tell deep inside. I was like, you're yeah. right, bastard. You just cost me 200K on my next deal. Damn it. Um, but no, yeah, he, he deserves it. He's been playing out of his mind. That shootout goal was silky. And I think obviously this is something they've been practicing because for Bednar to go Donskoy first goes to show that he had trust mm-hmm. in him and, and, and he delivered. He delivered with a really nice goal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, ever since you pointed out that Nichuskin donskoy Jost line that you, has been one of your favorite lines, I've really kept an eye on God, them. They are it. fun. They are a great line. They're and so that's where fun. JT Comfort throws that kind of curveball into the whole thing. Nichushkin, overtime. Let's talk about overtime. Gerard McKinnon and Kadri started on the ice, and Kadri was on the ice just to take the face off, and then he gets off. So Gerard and McKinnon are starting, which was, by the way, it was nice to see Gerard start ahead of Makar, which... This is my shameless plug. If you haven't read my story about Samuel Gerrard, please check it out. Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram, and Jared Bender pretty much pumping his tires to be in the Norris Trophy conversation and in the conversation, what I've been talking about for the last two months for Team Canada's Olympic team next February. Uh, great article. Check it out on Mile High Sports. Shout out to everybody that's been listening or that that's read it and has commented on it, especially on Reddit, uh, Reddit itself, the website. Uh, people really took off with that article. So thank you to all of you for reading it. It was a big hit. 
But yeah, so the Avalanche started with Kadri, McKinnon, and Gerard. Kadri won the faceoff, hit the bench to bring in the next guy, and that's clearly because McKinnon's not good at faceoffs and puck possession matters in overtime. So you're thinking, what, Rantanen's going to jump the boards and play Rantanen-McKinnon? It was Nichushkin. Mm-hmm. Nichushkin jumped the boards, and literally he got the puck, and the very first thing he did was he you know, dipsy-dueled around the defenseman, got a nice shot on, and almost won the game in the first 20 seconds. But it was stopped by Aiden Hill. So there's a lot of trust in 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 uh there's a lot of trust in Nichushkin for overtime. There's a lot of trust in John Donskoy for the shootout. These are the depth guys you need to win, you know, championships, the Blake Coleman's of the world. And and the Avalanche have a couple of those on the third line. That brings us to star number two. We're giving it to me. You're like, shut up, Go. Eric. I need to get to star Rantanen. number two. Well, we're running along. Miko Rantanen. Yeah, exactly. Five goals, four games, and he's just playing the Miko Rantanen that we missed. I mean, he took a kind of a, a year. Not not that he took a year off last year, but it was just not his best season. And we're yeah. back to seeing the Miko Rantanen we saw from two years ago. Yes, and Miko Rantanen is on a seven-game point streak, seven goals, 13 points. Seven goals, six assists. He is third in the NHL behind only Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews in goals. He has 11 goals in the month of March, which is the most by far. And this was a fun statistic and uh, to see was the most goals the Avalanche have ever, ever had in a month. Sackick scored 15 in March of 2000. Milan Hayduk scored 12 in a month, and then ranted in with 11 in this month, and the month isn't even over yet. That's the third most. And he could be at so 13. If he gets, I mean, yeah, he could be at 13. He gave McKinnon a couple of uh, empty netters. But the reality is, this is a big month in terms of how many games the Avalanche are playing. There's still four more games. He scores four and four. He ties Joe Sackick. He scores five and four. He's got the highest scoring month the Avalanche have ever had. Yeah, and it seems like he's scoring a goal every night, and uh, yeah, you just love to see what he's doing, and yeah, especially from a guy like that, you know, I think he's one of the better personalities on the team for sure. So, oh, one hundred percent. Star number one, we're going to Joe Nuss, Joe Hansen, Joe Nuss, Joe Hansen, and that's just because what I said at the top of the show, he came in and he did what you needed him to do, which was give Gruber a na- Grubauer a night off. I know it wasn't the prettiest of performances. I know the Avalanche didn't even get the W in the game, but he did what you needed. He was a guy. He came in and stopped some pucks, kept you in the game throughout, and didn't do anything terribly wrong that you, you know, nobody's going to be tweeting at him this week, right? Hopefully, like they did with Hunter Miska. Yeah, I know I'm not going to be sliding into his DMs talking any shit. Yeah. I I will say really quickly, you've been doing this whole podcast, and you just did it twice in two what seconds. now? You called him Jonas and then Jonas. I know. So Literally. Jonas, Jonas Johansson is how it, it comes to my brain, right? But then Ryan Bowling the other day on the hockey show corrected me and made sure I said it the right way. But to me, Which, I just want to say Jonas. Jonas. Johansson? It's Jonas. Okay, so it is, it's Jonas, it is Jonas Johansson. Okay. I've been meaning to ask you all podcast. How do we pronounce this guy's yeah. name? Because you keep saying it four different ways. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what now? But yeah, I mean, he did exactly. We we talked a lot about in the beginning. He, he gave the avalanche what they needed. Uh, and that was somebody that isn't going to let in four goals on seven shots at least his four goals came out on 32 shots uh he made some nice stops which was good to see i think he's going to get some w's in an avalanche sweater i don't know if he's a long-term option i don't think so but they traded a sixth rounder for him this isn't patrick Waugh going out and trading a second rounder for rito Bira. this is a guy that was worth a sixth round draft pick playing 
like a guy that was traded for a sixth round draft pick. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, he gave Grubauer the night off, and that was what was important. Right. And that's why he gets first star from us. And, you know, I like the fact that we're going with JoJo for him rather than JoJo. JJ, right? Because I'm, I'm, I'm the JJ of the year. I don't need anybody coming to threaten my top spot there. So, um, that being said, yo. Know, Hit us up on Twitter at JJ of the Year at Run Right Arif. Plenty of you do, and we enjoy it every time. So, um, one last shout out to who was it? Let me pull that up real quick before we Today? get out of here. Yeah, we got to give a shout yeah, out. Yeah, we got to give him a shout Patrick out. Patrick Stedman, he... who was saying, you know, he misses our podcast. Where is it? You know, it's only been a week, Patrick. You know, we're coming. We're here for you. But we, I love the fact that he likes our podcast so much that he took the time to say, guys, where is it? Where's my podcast? So shout out yeah. to you. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast, Patrick. Yeah, I, I'm a big podcast listener since the days of Merrick vs. Wyshynski. And, and, you know, there's podcasts like Puck Soup and the Steve Dangle, the 31 Thoughts, where if they don't get released when I'm expecting them to get released, I start to get a little antsy <laughs> and like, come on, where is my pod? And to the fact that somebody feels like that about a podcast that I'm a part of and that we are a part of, it just means a lot. It's really badass. It's really cool. So shout out to you, Patrick Stedman. I hope this gives you a nice little laugh and a nice smile while you're listening to this in the car, at the gym, or wherever. Yep, absolutely. We're best friends now, Patrick. So um, real quick, I know we're running a little bit long, but I'm just curious. I know you listen to a ton of hockey podcasts. Are any of your podcasts uh, that are in your weekly lineup non-hockey related? Not right now. No. I used to have a couple. Um I used to listen to, I forget the name of it. There was this podcast that was just like, you know, mysteries and like kind of like haunted stories and unsolved mysteries Mm -hmm. and crimes and things like that. And then I had to get rid of that one just to mentally not lose my mind. Um, But I've been meaning to add some more. I mean, I, I'm kind of, and and it's crazy to say it out loud because I am a hockey nerd, but I'm, I'm, I'm hockey all day, every day, all the time. It's not going to be like that forever, but I'm still young in my career. And that's kind of where I am right now. So no, right now my my hockey podcasts or my podcasts are all hockey. It's Thirty One Thoughts. It's Puck Soup. It's Steve Dangle. It's Missing Curfew with Shane O'Brien. It's uh, Spitting Chicklets. It's even Hockey Central. It's you know all the athletic ones. It's there's there's a ton of them and they're all hockey related right now. Hard to keep up with all of them, but yeah, you remind me of myself when I was what twenty eight. You're twenty eight. Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah, old buck. Yeah, it'll <laughs> fade. You'll get burnout. <laughs> Just, yeah, it'll it'll come. Just kidding. Um, you're doing especially a great if job. you want to make a, yeah, especially if you want to make a career out of this. Like you can't always be on all the time. Yeah, I mean, even heard, we heard Bob McKenzie recently talk about you know how Bobby how much Margarita. he loves his uh his nine week break there in the summer. Yeah, but yeah, running long here, so we might as well wrap it up. That was a fun podcast. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Uh, anything you want to throw out there before we head out? That's pretty much it. We'll come back to you guys for real this time after this Vegas series because this is an important series, so it deserves its own episode. Mm -hmm. We'll talk Avalanche, we'll talk Golden Knights, and we'll talk moving forward where it goes from there. Yep, absolutely. So thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey is for everyone, and we out you.